Hello and welcome to a very special Monday edition of the Harvard EdCast. Today, as you may well know, is World Autism Awareness Day, and that's why our website's blue. It's part of the Autism Speaks Light It Up Blue campaign. We're very fortunate today to be joined by a member of the HGSC faculty, Dr. Joanna Christodoulou, who came highly recommended from this subject. Welcome to the EdCast, Dr. Joanna. Thank you so much. Why don't we frame the discussion by you providing us with a brief overview of autism and autism detection and its history. Sure. So autism came on the radar with um, research by Leo Kanner in 1943. He reported 11 cases that did a really amazing job um, in describing biological influences and characteristics that we still think about today as very salient features of what the autism spectrum disorders include. Part of what he described ended up being interpreted as a refrigerator mother hypothesis about the cause of autism. In other words, coldness from the end of the parents was contributing to this profile of young, of young ones. In the 50s and 60s, that was an extraordinarily damaging approach to thinking about autism, and the blame the parent model is still present in different, different forms today, not so much in the refrigerator mother hypothesis, but in terms of are you doing everything possible for your child? If not, then you're doing something that's insufficient. But we've really come to a place where we have a lot of theories to try and figure out what's happening with autism and why it's happening. Can you tell us a little bit more about the autism spectrum, what it means, how to identify it, and how it's affecting children in schools? So the autism spectrum disorders are primarily characterized by a continuum of characteristics, and that's important to focus on, that it's not having a characteristic or not having it, but a continuum of long dimensions of social skills and communication and restrictive, repetitive behaviors. And both a history of these kinds of characteristics and present uh, showing of these characteristics is what people look for. And the actual diagnostic approach includes questionnaires and actual interactions with children using tools like the ADOS, which is one of the more popular ones, to interact with children and see to the extent they are interacting according to the norms for their age groups. Could you discuss a little bit about how autism has evolved over the years in terms of both? I know there was research that came out very recently about more and more cases coming about. How is that affecting uh, awareness of autism and, and how it's treated labeling in schools and, and special education? Sure. So one of the main issues that's happening with autism is this question of are cases actually increasing? Is the prevalence increasing at the rate that it's being observed to, to happen? So... Um, one issue is that the recognition of autism has increased, and with that, that is one of the factors that has contributed to the increased labeling of autism. Another piece is uh, the idea of diagnostic substitution. In other words, some children in the past have been labeled with other terms like mental retardation as opposed to autism because autism was not a label that was used as often as it is now for the same cluster of behaviors. Um, also, the DSM-4 allowed for milder cases of similar profiles, like PDD in, which meant that the, the criteria to qualify were expanded. Um, and also, some people think that it's an epidemic because of the increase in numbers. However, there are papers that have shown that if you look at adults, so those who are young when the autism label was not prevalent, as prevalent, um, they have found that about one in 100 adults with autism, this is a paper from the UK, using current definitions, meet the criteria. 
in terms of what you're doing in terms of your own research and your own publications with special needs, how, how is autism playing a role in terms of the broader conversation of special needs education? Autism is one of the disorders that has um, gathered some of the most attention right now. And it's appropriate in many ways because it's a disorder that impacts, one of the ways it impacts um, children's profiles is in terms of their social skills and communication. And those characteristics are incredibly important for how individuals have relationships, the quality of those relationships, and how, and, every, and so much of what we do in education is based on the quality of their interactions with our peers, with our teachers, with the material. So it's um, of high interest for everyone to be invested in supporting all our students in our school to be successful, even when there are different profiles of how they interact socially or in terms of their communication. Where is the debate heading in terms of, I know you gave a brief history of the original thoughts on the causes of autism, but where is the debate heading now in terms of what's causing it and any, any research or work, uh, especially in schools, towards you know, figuring out the reasons behind it? We're at a place where it's incredibly exciting to be studying autism because the one thing we know is that it's not one disorder. It doesn't have one cause. So instead of thinking about why it's happening and trying to look for one reason. The exciting thing is there has been a great move that's been led especially by the autism researchers to have a consortium of data that people can share and have a team-oriented and multidisciplinary approach to figuring out what is happening. So the idea is we observe these behavioral characteristics, but there are so many ways you can get to those characteristics. And that, that awareness that there are multiple ways to have impairments that present in the same ways is leading research in really productive directions to understand all the ways in which you can get to those outcomes. So at the genetic level, at the epigenetic level, at the level of interactions between genes and environment, and not one or the other alone. Curious, you know, aside from listening to this podcast, uh, what, are, what can people do on, on World Autism Awareness Day in terms of helping bring more attention to the cause of autism and learning more about it? There are so many things that can be done. The most important one is um, tolerance and updating any misconceptions that might be linked up with understanding what autism spectrum disorders are. There are many organizations at the national level, including Autism Society of America, Autism Speaks, and Autism Science Foundation, in addition to many local ones, including um, the Lowry Center for Autism at MGH, the Simon Center for the Social Brain at MIT, and Children's Hospital Boston is creating an autism center. Um, but in addition to those organized groups, the most important thing people can do is get involved in research, either being participants or in advocacy in supporting with financial or time resources or um, training students, training ourselves to be tolerant and appreciative of all the ways in which there are different kinds of people and the reasons why different profiles are the way they are. So tolerance, understanding better, and not attributing child behaviors to things like bad parenting, and getting young kids to understand why kids in their classrooms may not be acting the same way they are and understanding how being different in terms of autism is just another way that each of us can be different in our own way. Dr. Joanna, thank you for being a champion of the cause and for coming on the EdCast today. Likewise, thank you so much. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.